First Thessalonians, our goal in First Thessalonians is that the God of peace himself will sanctify us, will make us holy, will set us apart uh, completely, and that our whole body and soul and spirit will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And we've asked, how are we supposed to do that? And we said, answer number one, through Jesus. Absolutely. You don't get holy, you don't get set apart, you don't get sanctified, you don't get to be blameless without Jesus. And we said, listen to men. Um, find um, uh, people who are uh, doing right, who are holy and blameless. Uh, find people who are doing that and copy what they're doing as the, um, as the Thessalonians copied Paul. And this morning, ignore Satan. Ignore Satan. Now, that's kind of weird because uh, what I don't mean is to just pretend Satan doesn't exist. That's bad. Um, we kind of have two camps in Christianity, I think both of which are wrong. There's the camp that says um, Satan and the demonic world just kind of don't exist. Let's sort of ignore them and pretend uh, it didn't, didn't happen. Um, that's wrong. There is a Satan. There are demons. Uh, they are attempting um, to, they are actively attempting uh, to get you to sin, to get you to um, reject your, your savior. They are attempting to hurt the world. There's another camp where everything is demonic. Everything is satanic. Um, if you have the sniffles, it's a, a demon. Uh, I, I think one of the best answers to this uh, is to look forward to the millennial kingdom when there will be no demonic activity because Satan is bound. Um, and ask yourself, do you think people will get a common cold? Probably. Um, so it's not uh, demonic activity, and people will live and, and be born, and they will die in the, the millennial kingdom, and they will sin, and they will do all of that without Satan being there. Um, so clearly we are able to sin without um, the influence of Satan. In fact, some of us are so good at sinning, we don't need the influence of anyone other than ourselves. Thank you. I was hoping nobody would amen that. Uh, we don't need uh, outside help to, to sin. Uh, we can do it just fine on our own. So ignore Satan who might tempt you. I struggled with that word might um, because we have to recognize something about Satan. He is not the opposite of God. Um, he is not anything comparable to God. You, God is wholly different than everything else that he created. So we start with the understanding that God created angels and Satan is a fallen angel. He is a created being. He does not have the knowledge that God has. He does not have the abilities that God has. Uh, he is not omnipresent. He does not know everything. Um, he knows what he knows and that's it. Who might tempt you? If he is, and he is, a created being, and since he is a created being, and since he can only be in one place at one time, he's probably not here right now, right? Because if he's here, it means he's not anywhere else. Um, I'm not saying there's not, there, there's not demonic activity in the world. We're talking specifically about Satan. Um, he might not even know any of our names. Um, you know, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, if, if you're going to be here, you'd, you'd worry about a Franklin Graham or something like that. If you can get him to mess up, you know, 
what does Andrew Woods, uh, what does Andrew Woods get you? So he might tempt you. He might. We don't. We don't know um, uh, Satan's activity in in our life, um, but we know that he is a tempter. We just have to always put in perspective that he is not some sort of opposite, all powerful to to God. He is a created being who does bad things. If you want to learn more about the relationship, you sort of get a a clue in the first couple of chapters of Job, and you see Satan in this very submissive um, attitude. And I think it reveals something about his, his character. So God is always good. There is never a time where God isn't good. But Satan is not always evil. Now, please don't take that out of context. Don't tweet that out or anything. Satan is not always evil. When he goes to God, he can't be evil. God can't tolerate uh, evil. He won't do it. So Satan um, has to pretend to be something different than what he is. Um, he can't sin in front of God. So even Satan in his character is not always doing evil. He is always evil, but he isn't always doing evil because it's not an effective way to live. It's not a way that you can live. And as a created being, he lives under the laws and commands and authority of God, and he has to obey God. So let's look at Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, all right, now if you've got the 19... 85 NIV, it, that's not what it, it says. It says, uh, torn away. Um, and that is an accurate understanding, but orphaned is the actual word. And if you, if you have that chapter break or that section break before 17, you miss sort of the flow of thought, which is we were moms and we were dads and we were children, and now we're orphaned. Um, that we have been torn away. We were separated from you for a short time. So if we remember what happened in Thessalonica, Paul goes, he's there for three weeks, gets uh, kicked out. The people who helped him got in trouble, had to put up a, a bond, and Paul was not allowed back in Thessalonica. So that he was ripped from these people who he loved after three weeks, and he uses the term orphaned. I think it's as a connection to the previous idea, and it helps us understand uh, a little bit of what Paul is going to. He was orphaned by being separated from you for a short, short time. And then he says in person, but not in thought, because he continues to pray for them. And out of intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So Paul's going to say this a number of times, that they tried and tried to, to get back to Thessalonica. We don't know what, what kept them from being there. Uh, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. So if Satan can only be in one place at one time, it seems to me I would have hung out with Paul to try and stop him from doing anything that you, that you could. So Satan blocked the way of Paul. Uh, the thought is that maybe that um, thorn in the flesh um, that Paul had maybe caused him not to travel. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's the government of Thessalonica saying, if you come back here, we're going to kill you. And that uh, stopped him. If the people who helped him were released from prison but had to put up some sort of bond, then clearly the, the government of Thessalonica didn't like Paul, didn't want him back, and I think that is the, the blocking of how Paul is, is not able to come back to Thessalonica. Satan blocked our way. So don't picture Satan standing in front of Paul saying, don't come this way, but what Paul is saying is that the activities in the world caused me not to go to, to see you, and he believes that those activities were orchestrated by Satan, so Satan blocked his, his way. And he asks a question, 
For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? So that word, when he, when he comes, um, is the first time we see that in Thessalonians. And it's going to be an important part of First and Second Thessalonians to talk about the Lord Jesus and when he comes. Um, Thessalonians talks about the end times, talks about the rapture, has this focus on the, the future. So Paul's question, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when, we, when he comes? So there will be a time when Jesus comes back and we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus. Until then, we're here. We're stuck here in a church without carpet, in a church that upgraded its video production, which we all noticed today. <laughs> Most of us have been through an upgrade before and then everything fell apart. Nobody? Okay. That's what happens to me. I am looking forward to the day when Jesus comes and I can glory in his presence without worrying about carpet and lights, uh, without worrying about uh, sound system and video projectors, um, but just face-to-face -face with Jesus. And that is our hope and that is our joy. That is our crown that we will someday worship Jesus face-to-face. -face. And he says that our hope and our joy and our crown is the Thessalonian church. Um, that since Paul led them to, to Jesus, since he did all of this work, um, they are his glory and joy. Now everybody's going, man, I wish we had carpet. <laughs> Indeed, you are our glory and joy. The Thessalonian church is the glory and joy of Paul, along with many other churches. And we see that today, that we see um, people who you have led to Jesus uh, people who have accepted Jesus as their savior because of your ministry are your glory and joy. They are the hope and joy and crown that you get to sort of bring with you when Jesus comes. Now, we recognize that it's all about Jesus and not about us, but we do understand that there is just a great privilege to tell people about Jesus. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, so now Paul's saying, I couldn't get to you. So I sent the next best thing. I sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, um, to build your, your faith up. So there are two ideas with faith that Paul's going to use back and forth throughout Thessalonians, and you have to know which one he's talking about. There is their faith that is their love of Jesus, their understanding of the gospel message, their salvation faith. And there is their faith that is their understanding of those, those things, their theology of who Jesus is and what he has done. So here he wants to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So they have faith, but he wants to let them know it's all going to be okay. You're going through a rough patch. I can't even come to see you, but everything is going to be okay. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So that as life comes through... Um, uh, clearly they're having difficulties. If Paul, or if Satan is so concerned that he doesn't want Paul to get to this church, he's probably got um, significant demonic activity going on um, in the, the church uh, as well to get them to fall. You know quite well that we are, are destined for them. You know quite well that we are destined for trials. I notice that's nobody's life verse. Um, we are... You know quite well that we are destined for trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, which is funny because it only took three weeks. We kept telling you, you know, unless you missed one Sunday or one Saturday because we only had three of them. Uh, and it turned out that way, as you well know. So he's saying, hey, we were telling you during that three-week period, we are going to get 
trials. We are going to get tribulations. It's not just the promise of Jesus that we know that's going to happen, but it's also Paul's experience that says, hey, everywhere I go, Jesus follows, and then people come and yell at me. Um, so we're going, to get, we're going to get in trouble. And he says, and you well know we got in trouble. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So the tempter is Satan. He is above, um, he is first and foremost, above all other things, the tempter. Um, he is a deceiver and he is a liar. From the first time we see him in the Bible, he's tempting Eve. He's saying, did God really say? That is his character. Above anything else, he is wanting to lie to you and deceive and tempt you. That is a horrible um, being. That is a terrible, terrible being. To go through life, or we go through life, his his, uh, eternal, um, to just tempt and challenge and deceive and constantly be focused on the negative and to know that you're going to lose. I was afraid in some way that the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So are they losing their salvation faith or are they misunderstanding their theological faith here? Well, you probably know that I don't think you can lose your salvation, which means I'm obviously going to think they're misunderstanding their their salvation faith, there is a, or their theological faith. There is a lot of theology that we, we understand. Um, and people get it wrong a lot. If you don't believe me, go ask anyone to explain the Trinity. Give them two minutes, maybe if they're really smart, 10 minutes, maybe if they're really, really smart, 45 seconds, and they will fall into some sort of heresy. Um, and what Paul is saying is, I thought maybe you would be tempted into taking Christianity, which has a lot of mystery, taking Christianity, um, which is different from the Jewish faith, taking Christianity, which is all about grace and love and law and justice and righteousness and mercy and holiness and somehow mixing it all up. Uh, He knows this because he's seen it done in church after church after church. And he's saying, I didn't want our labor to be in vain so that you would come up with some sort of misinformed, wrong, terrible Christianity. And if you look around the world in the 21st century, you can say, huh, it can happen. We have a lot of misinformed, wrong uh, Christian theology. And I don't mean um, the, the simple things that we disagree on. Uh, I mean, there are people who don't understand the grace of Jesus, don't understand mercy, don't understand why we, we take communion. There are, there are massive theological gaps in people's understanding, and that's from Satan. Um, that is from the father of lies who's deceiving you so that you present a gospel that isn't the true gospel. I don't think it affects your salvation faith but it affects the salvation faith of the people who you tell the gospel to when you're sharing to them an incorrect gospel. So in other words, if I come to faith, if I come to Jesus and I actually do it, and then I have a misunderstanding of salvation, I don't think I can lose my salvation. But everyone I witness to is getting a false gospel. Um, And if you witness to many, many people, that's many, many false gospels and many, many people led away. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Isn't that great? 
good news, after only three weeks, just a little bit of discipleship, no preparation to know that I was leaving, no ability to appoint elders and deacons, um, no ability to uh, train a pastor, any of these things. He says, I heard good news about your faith and your love. I heard good news about what you believe, but also about what you, you do, that it's not just a faith where they sit there and intellectually agree to things, but rather it's a faith that in action leads to love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. After three weeks, they have pleasant memories of Paul and they want to see him again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Uh, we were encouraged that you believe that Jesus is the Savior. Um, we were encouraged uh, that um, you didn't fall away. We were encouraged that you didn't start believing a different gospel message that's no gospel message at all. Uh, so what he's saying is to see you grow in your faith, to see you understand more, to see you love Jesus, to see you love other people has eased the burden of the distress and persecution uh, that they face. And it's the same thing that we see now. When we see people growing in Jesus, it is such a comfort to us. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. People who are not backing down from what can be tough theology, um, tough in the first century, tough in the 21st century, to um, go out and be firm in your commitment that Jesus is the only way to salvation. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Um, so now he's thanking God for what God has done for those people and through those people. He's not taking credit for it. He understands that it is all about God. And he says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Not lacking in your salvation faith, lacking in your theological faith. You've had three weeks of training. It's more complicated than that, Thessalonians, but we're thrilled to see that you love Jesus, that there has been no perversion of the gospel, and you love other people, and we're looking forward to coming and answering your questions and figuring out what the next steps are and all of this uh, to supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. So he starts praying and says, get rid of Satan, get rid of the tempter. Let me come to you, Thessalonians, so that I can minister. And may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. I find this interesting. He's been emphasizing faith, 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 talking about their theology. And now he's talking about their practice because he knows that the two are intimately connected to have Practice that to love people without theology is a waste of time, and to have theology without love is a waste of time. And he's saying both of them have to be there. So uh, he's telling them to stand firm in their, their faith and that he's going to come and supply what's lacking in their theology. And then he's praying, may the Lord make your love increase, but may your practice just continue to increase to love and love and love and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And may strengthen your hearts that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. The thing we've been saying over and over and over in Thessalonians, that your body and soul and spirit be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus now. You'll be blameless and holy in the presence of God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. There is only one way 
to be blameless and holy in the presence of God the Father. Jesus, that's it. That's the list. There is only one way. Because when God the Father looks at you, if he can't look at sinful Satan, he can't look at sinful you. He's, you have to be covered by Jesus. You have to be covered by, by, his, uh, by his blood. And Paul is saying, if you want to be blameless and holy, um, you have to believe in Jesus. I'm going to give you a minute, uh, or I'm, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as, as Savior, um, to recognize that you are a sinner, that Jesus is God, that he was perfect, and that the only way to get to heaven is through, through Jesus. It is the greatest decision that you can, can make. Uh, it is the most important decision that you can make, and it is the only way that you can stand before God and be holy and blameless. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he can make us holy and blameless. We're not perfect here on earth, uh, but we can stand perfect and holy and set apart and sanctified in, in heaven. If there's anyone here who's never asked Jesus to be their savior, possibly you're trusting in something else, um, maybe your, your goodness or your love or your theology or your church attendance or your giving, whatever it is, it's not going to work. Uh, it's only Jesus and Jesus alone. If you would like to put your faith in Jesus today, I would ask that you would just raise your hand. I want to talk to you for a minute after the, the service uh, and explain to you who Jesus is and help to strengthen your, your faith. For the rest of us, the only way that we can stand before God the Father being holy and blameless is through Jesus. And when we do that, Jesus tells us that we are sons of God. And even when we do not holy and not blameless things, we are uh, positional sons of God. We are sanctified as holy. Um, and that can't be taken away from us because who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Amen.